bitch, please. Oh, bitch, please, my ass. You want a sandwich? Dig that. Oh, hell yeah. She's a bad I'm a black man in a white world. I'm a black man in a white world. If I wasn't a Christian man, I'd probably be kicking in your ass. Hello, and welcome to the latest episode of the JB's Low Tech Podcast. Today, I will be interviewing a young man who gone from college student athlete to trying to become a best-selling author. And you will meet him here next, here on the JB's Low Tech Podcast. When you need someone to listen, a lawyer you know and trust. Hi, I'm Mike Bryant. Over the years at holiday time, Bradshaw Bryant has been able to help thousands of central Minnesotans arrive home safely from the bars. This year, we could very well be celebrating at home, but there's still lots of things that we can do to ensure that you stay safe on the roads, like slowing down, giving yourself enough time that you're not in a rush, no texting and driving, hands-free phone calls, and of course, no drinking and driving. Please be safe so that you get home to your loved ones. I'm Mike Bryant from Bradshaw and Bryant. This year, my biggest wish is that we all remain happy, healthy, and even a little more kind to one another. A lawyer who will fight with confidence and pride. Working harder, going farther. With Mike Bryant on your side. Seeking justice for the injured. Bradshaw and Bryant. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to the JB's Low Tech Podcast. As I stated in the opening of today's show, that I would be interviewing somebody who uh, was a former college athlete and now is uh, living his best dream as an uh, as an author and a philanthropist. And I wanted to uh, reach out to him because of my 40 years of working with college athletes. I just wanted to uh, see how this transition was going and how he got it started. Uh, his name is J.D. Slackert. How you doing, J.D.? J.B., man, living living my best dream is is the best way I've heard <laughs> anyone put my, uh, put my story kind of in summation. Um, but man, I, I, uh, I couldn't be doing better, man. And as I, as I mentioned to you off, off script, it's, it's such an honor to be on your show. You do a tremendous job. Uh, and yeah, I think, I think we're going to have a lot of, uh, things in common to speak about. So this is going to be fun. Right. Well, you know, you started your life in, in California and growing up as a basketball player and, uh, getting that, you know, that ultimate call which to be a d1 athlete how did that go for you yeah yeah i mean you know jb my and i'm I'm very open and kind of honest about this part of my career is you know i was you know growing up in southern california where i was born and raised um basketball was my whole life Mm -hmm. and uh contrary to the end result you know of where i ended up and the accolades and achievements I was very fortunate to get, uh, you know, and, and getting to the highest level and even having friends that made it all the way to the NBA and are still playing in the NBA. I, uh, began my career very humbly as sort of like the last guy on the bench. Um, I was sort of the undersized, uh, allergy redheaded kid mm-hmm. who just, you know, loved to play defense and, and rebound and would do anything just to be on the team. 
Uh, and that's kind of what a lot of my youth was like. But I just, yeah, I love the sport. Uh, I love basketball a ton. And, you know, my dad played in college and he uh, really pushed me to, you know, give it everything I, I had. And then my older brother was a real role model for me as well, Taylor Haynes. Uh, and he was a great player. So, yeah, I just I just worked at it for years and years of my life. And it sort of did become, you know, I'm sure like most athletes, it became my identity and how I sort of uh, recognize myself as a as a person in this world. And um, I just hit a sort of crazy growth spurt. Uh, at like almost the perfect time. So I was 5'8", my freshman year of high school. Mm -hmm. And by the time I graduated, I was six foot six. And that was when sort of my my preparation and love for the game met like this talent, this kind of late blooming talent that, uh, yeah, carried me into college and and allowed me to compete at the Division One level at UC Santa Barbara, which uh, growing up was sort of my dream school. And it was right up the street for me. And uh, yeah, I mean, it, it, you know, changed my life. So, so, um, playing for the Gauchos, uh, yep. you probably, um, and I saw you experienced some, uh, leading, uh, reading your basketball bi uh, bio, you experienced some up and downs. How did you handle those, uh, those things happening? Yeah, for sure. And I mean, up and downs is, is definitely, again, a great way to put it, um, because, you know, so I, so I entered as a walk-on, uh, and I was I had I was getting recruited by a pretty good amount of uh, Division One schools and had some scholarship opportunities, but the primary the the, the primary recruitment I was getting was Division Twos, Division Threes, and uh, I sort of leveraged that to get into UCSB with the coaching staff there and sort of tried to convince them, hey, look, I'm a Division One player and I'm willing to come in you know, not on a scholarship and just compete for one, uh, which they, you know, thankfully took me up on and, and, and made room for me on the team. And so I entered UCSB and actually broke my foot coming in. So I missed my entire first season uh, with an injury. And it was sort of a blessing in a way, because I think it is such a major adjustment from competing at the high school level to the division one college level that, I got to kind of watch, you know, other freshmen that I came in with uh, and, and, and sort of, uh, you know, experience sort of through them, their highs and lows and, and the adjustment and, you know, just even something as simple as like having a college schedule of academics and then also the weight room and, and adjusting to being in the weight room four or five days a week, which in high school, you know, you, you aren't really used to. And then um, I didn't have to travel, which ended up, I think, being a blessing because I could just get ahead on my schoolwork and then rehab my injury. Um, but what was interesting was, you know, I had like a really, JB, I had like a really, what I felt like a, a perfect first year despite this injury, right? Like mm -hmm. I was getting ahead. I was lifting extra weights. I was getting shots up every day. And so I was, I had sort of that, that return date in the summer circled like okay you know they're they're gonna have to get ready for me like <laughs> here here i come you know i used right. to tell like some of our staff like you know when they lose i'd say don't worry help is on the way you know you, you guys are gonna be good uh coming up here and as you can imagine kind of the way i'm building this up i went from you know getting healthy to all right well now you're the last guy on the bench, like, like good luck coming from this situation. And so, yeah, I was like the 17th man going into my sophomore year. And I actually didn't even make, uh, the traveling roster and I was healthy and I was ready. And I felt like I was, you know, I felt like I was kicking everyone's butt in practice. And, uh, yeah, I wasn't, I was, I was dealt a real, a real healthy helping of humble pie and, and, uh, wasn't even given a suitcase that day that they announced the travel right. roster. And, uh, that was a really heartbreaking, uh, moment. Man. And, uh, you know, cause, and just for maybe people out there listening, just so, you know, who maybe aren't aware on a division one college team, basketball team, uh, it's usually anywhere from 17 to 19 guys, something around that mm -hmm. and only 15 travel. Right. So that, clearly lets you know that if you're not one of the 15 traveling that you're literally one of the second or, or, or last kind of people in the pecking order. And 
you know, I had a great friend named Joe Goodrow who also was the, the only other member that didn't make that travel roster, and he quit the team right then. Uh, and that was sort of his last day. And obviously, you know, I had similar thoughts going through my mind, but um, that was that was really the catalyst, I think, when I just realized, like, as hard as I thought I was working and, and as many sacrifices as I thought I was making, uh, I decided rather than to give up to just make even more. And that was when I think I really learned what hard work is about. And, you know, I got rid of my social life and was spending every Friday and Saturday night in the gym and, and, and just made it, a, you know, I went, I took it from like a dedication to an obsession and uh, yeah, the rest was sort of history for me after that. I ended up, uh, not only did I travel my junior year, but I ended up starting and earning a full scholarship. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, I ended up having a great career from then. But uh, it was those highs and lows, as you said in the beginning, that uh, I think really shaped who I am. So, so uh, just a kind of a, a side question: Who was your coach at the time? Yeah, well, I'm sure with your involvement in college sports, I'm sure there's some some there's got to be some crossover we mm -hmm. have, but. I, it was it was a guy named Bob Williams, and Bob was uh, known primarily around the college basketball world for being the longest tenured Division One coach uh, on the West Coast. He was at UC Santa Barbara for 19 years, um, and he was yeah he was an incredible guy, and he's just still someone I'm very close with to this day. And um, you know I for, you know I feel like he's one of the best coaches I ever had. And then I also played for Joe Pasternak my senior year. Uh, who came from the University of Arizona following uh, Sean Miller's tenure there. And uh, he's also a good friend as well. Um, yeah, because the reason why I asked, and maybe I'm getting these two guys in the wrong location, but I was wondering uh, if uh, Brian Dutcher or if a um, uh, Brian Dutcher or uh, 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 can't think of Musselman's kid's last name. I think it's Eric Musselman. Okay, yeah, I know. I I don't know Eric personally. He's now at Arkansas. Okay. Uh, but my little brother actually, Clark Slacker, he played at. The, he's, he's still currently playing at the University of Pennsylvania, and they actually went out to Arkansas and played them last year. So uh, we've got some, you know, friendly competition there with Mus. But uh, yeah, I don't have a personal relationship okay. with them. So from going to from. You know, and I've been as a, I was a equipment manager in college, and I worked football for 22 years, and then the other years I worked sports like baseball and softball and wrestling. Yeah, you guys have got a good uh, athletic program out there. Man. Yes, that's, uh, that's a that's definitely a, uh, a serious sports school for you right. guys for sure. Um, but during my time, I would get to. Uh, be part of the recruiting process because they would come in and we would show recruits what we could offer and what, you know, as far as apparel and clothing and shoes and all that stuff, mm -hmm. but also mm -hmm. what survive, uh, services we provided on top of that. And um, as you go from being recruited to getting signed to having the uh, un unfortunate foot accident to get into your <laughs> get into your red shirt freshman year, which is your first year, and you and you get, right. get the whammy of that uh, right. being the seventeenth guy. What made you stick, and mentally, how did you survive that? Well, I'll say this, man. It's it was really hard. I mean, I I I, I you know I'll. I'll do my best to sort of explain the, the, the way I got through it and kept battling. But, you know, it was it definitely wasn't something that was easy because, um, yeah, I mean, you, you give up so much and you sacrifice so much of your time. And, I mean, you're missing, you know, you know this about being around sports as long as you are. You're missing holidays. You're not coming home for Thanksgiving. You're, you know, staying up late, making up assignments that all your other friends did you know, on the weekend and they're getting to go out and have fun. And now you're doing homework and it's, it's a, it's a really grueling kind of grinding out process. And then, yeah, one of my best friends quit the team and um, you really got to look yourself in the mirror and decide like, is this worth it? And, and am I willing to go through all of this again 
to then not travel again. And um, I think what got me through it, though, to, to be more direct is I was very I'd say two things. I was very close with uh, my college teammates, man, like from the, the best guy on the team who is his name is Gabe Vincent. He's now in the NBA he plays for the Miami Heat. And he was one of my best friends and still is. Uh, that guy, after the, I, I walked into that locker room and didn't see my traveling suitcase, he gave me a hug and, and took me out to lunch and, and let me just kind of vent. And that was the best guy on the team, man. And to have, you know, that to have the support from the guy who you're, you know, the whole program is putting their 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 self themselves behind. Think about you in that way that sort of let me know, like he kind of let me know in his own way. Hey, I need you. I still need you to, you know, keep your head up. Cause you're, you know, you never know. Like he, he would sort of tell me like, Hey man, someone gets hurt or, you know, someone transfers or whatever you might have, your, your number still might get called. So don't give up. And, uh, to see him kind of offer up his advice, despite, you know, I wasn't, I mean, maybe he just sort of, he was just sort of being nice at the time, but yeah, I, I wasn't as nearly as important as he was, but he still gave up his time to tell me that, uh, meant a lot to me. Uh, and I've never forgotten it. And I would say the other thing is too, and this is maybe a little bit more kind of, I guess, funny for some people maybe listening, but UC Santa Barbara is not exactly a tough place to go to school, man. So if you're, if you're, you know, if you're not traveling and you're stuck in Santa Barbara, I think that there's worse places to be. So I actually also just enjoyed being a student there a lot. And I think that got me through it too. And that was actually something that, you know, going through the recruiting process, I had a lot of people tell me, which maybe to anybody out there listening, who's going through it themselves, someone told me this and I, you know, I think it's the best advice I ever got is if you're getting recruited to play college sports, go somewhere where if you tear your ACL the first day and you can never play again, you'd still be happy. And that was certainly something I an advice I followed. And, you know, the, the ACL is metaphorical, right? Obviously being that go somewhere where if the sports doesn't work out, you'd still be happy. And, uh, that, that definitely became important to help me get me through the first few years where, yeah, I wasn't, I wasn't getting a lot. So, um, so you, you, you hang in there. Plus the other thing that your teammate was smart enough to realize that he needed you was that in practice you had to give you had to give your best effort to right. make him better. Oh yeah, oh yeah. Uh, because you were running the other team's offense or the other team's right. defense, and for right. you to go into motions out there doing practice would not help him. And he kind of knew that he needed you to to uh, give your all, not only to keep trying for yourself, but to keep trying for the team. So that was pretty cool of him to. Um, make sure that you, very cool man yeah, very that you cool didn't just give it up. speaks to the yeah speaks to the character of him and, and also bob and to bring guys in like that and you know what i mean not to jump ahead i'm happy to, to speak more about this portion of my career but what happened was i also got the respect of a lot of people that felt like i you know i could have given up and i never did and it's paying dividends to me to this day. I mean, I, I know guys that were, you know, watched what I went through and really felt for me. And, and then when they saw me sort of rise out of the ashes of that into everything that happened next, they were even happier for me as a result. Uh, that goes from the donors to the, the, you know, AD to the, to the fans. And, uh, you know, everyone sort of watched me for years, kind of just continue to slowly work hard in silence. And yeah, there, I, I, it was it was made up to me tenfold, obviously, after that. Just kind of, uh, again, another side question, you know, that you, you know, you recently have not too long ago left the college ranks. Um, I haven't had a chance on, on my show to ask somebody who's either still playing or just recently uh, left college sports. What is your mind? thinking on um, <laughs> the transfer portal and name, image, and likeness? Yeah, it's a great question. It's obviously very topical given the current climate of college athletics. Um, I, uh, you know, after, after sort of researching you myself, I feel like we're going to really agree on this because I, <laughs> I, have, I have heard a little bit of your personality and, and I loved it actually. 
and because I'm a bit of an old soul personally myself when it comes to a lot of these things, mm-hmm. is I think the transfer portal is uh, a real chaotic and sends a bad message to most kids. Because um, I think, and, and look, like let's just take my big story, which we just spent the last you know day ago mm-hmm. kind of going through is, I think a kid today who was in my shoes, when they don't see that suitcase, right, they're saying, well, I got to get out of here and transfer. And that would be the moment when they throw in the towel, call their parents up and say, look, we got to find the next place for me. And and I'll say this. Obviously, there's plenty of kids that this works out for and they end up going to the next school and have a great career and, and good for them. But I really do think that takes away from the real world application of, look, you're going to go out there and sometimes you're just not good enough. And it wasn't anything personal. It's not like these coaches didn't love and care about me. I just, well, I wasn't ready. And uh, I needed that. I needed another year to really lock in and, and make the sacrifices um, to get that scholarship. And yeah, I think I, I would hope that most kids would stick that out and continue to battle despite not starting or not getting the playing time. Is there, cause it's, it's a, I mean, college sports is so competitive. You know, this JB, I mean, you've been in this world a long time. I'm sure there's plenty of superstar guys you've seen that just had to wait years to get their chance. And, uh, now people want to skip that and circumnavigate it. And I'm not a fan of it one bit, but to answer the second part about the name image and likeness, um, I think, I think it's, it's, it's a pretty volatile, uh, situation. I think the intentions are good. Like I do think there are a lot, not think, I know there are a lot of really uh, deserving student athletes that, you know, should be compensated for the, the the money they're bringing into their institutions. And it's been a, the NCAA has been a little bit of a, uh, you know, that's been an issue for a long time. I mean, I've heard, I've heard horror stories from, you know, the, 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 like, I, I got to give you a good example. Mm-hmm. I heard this story years ago when um, I believe it was uh, Ben McLemore was playing at um, Kansas and he was playing at Kansas under Bill Self. And I think it was had to be, you know, they're like middle 2000s, 2010, 2011, something like that. And they had just Bill Self was telling this story to the reporters and saying how they had just won. They had just upset someone in the Sweet 16 and we're going to the Elite Eight, and Kansas was rocking, and the Jayhawk Nation was kind of really excited about this win, obviously, and Ben McElmore had like 35 points, and it was a huge game for him, and he said he walked into practice the next day, and he could tell in warm-ups that Ben was uh, pretty down, like his spirits were kind of low, and and Bill Self walked over to him and said, hey, Ben, you know, is, is everything all right? Like, what's, what's going on? Uh, you know, we just had this huge win, and you seem really upset, and that's when, you know, Ben Macklemore looked at Bill Self and said, you know, um, my mom uh, couldn't even watch the game last night because the power was shut off at our house back home. And she doesn't have enough money to afford her electricity bill. And Bill Self then looked at all the reporters and said, I wanted, I wanted more than anything to take $100 or $200 or $500 out of my pocket and give it to Ben and say, hey, send this back to your mom. But that would be illegal. So here we have this kid who's who's giving his you know his body and his life to this university when his, his own mom back home doesn't even have enough money to uh, pay the electricity bill for his son, her son to watch her son play basketball, and I think that story has stuck with me through these years of like you know what like that there there really does need to be something to change that. Um, so I think you know I guess in summation, I think it is it, it, the intentions are good. I think mm-hmm. the NIL, NIL stuff. People do. They are trying to get the money into the right hands, but with anything that's that's new like that, I think there's going to be a lot of kind of ripple effects that maybe aren't so good. I guess. Well, and you know, I I go from a situation of seeing guys like that, who um, whose family is just wanting him to either make it to the pros or he or she make it to the pros and make the family situation better are to finish school and yeah. graduate yeah. and get a great job and to make the, the family 
uh, life a little bit better. But then I, you know, I, you know, then you, you, you see the situations where money isn't needed back home, and the parents are just being greedy and for and, sure, right? And they're, you know, making their kid leave a school to go to a different school because they think the coaches are holding them back from, you know, making it to the NFL or the NBA or Major League Baseball or the NF, uh, NHL or whatever it might be. Uh, it's just. You know, and I see all that, and, you know, I bounce back and forth like a ping-pong ball because, you know, <laughs> you know, I remember when I was in school at the University of Minnesota, 7% of football players graduated, and I think 13% of basketball players graduated, which was yeah, god-awful. It's terrible. Now you're talking about 60 70% where athletes are graduating at a higher uh, click than the uh, – normal student body is which is a wonderful thing Mm -hmm. um i think that players should have an opportunity to go where they're comfortable but i think they and their parents and i've written this many a times need to do a better job of the first decision you know the place they first wind up at because when they leave and you're hearing numbers now of when you leave your chance of landing nowhere is anywhere from 45 to 60%. Oh, and you're talking about the transfer portal, correct? Right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, oh my God. Yeah. And, and you know, that, that is a, uh, that is a stat that I've heard as well. And yeah, you're totally right. I mean, it, it's, it's bizarre. It's very bizarre. And I think it, I think more than anything though, as you know, the, 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 the point I was trying to make is like, you know, it takes away from the rest of your life and mm-hmm. how you deal with problems. Like right. if you just quit and if you, you know, if you don't do well in your job and your boss lights you up for whatever reason and you just quit and go to the next job and you do that your whole life, where are you going to get? And, and that mentality, it's sort of like, it's not you, it's them always. That's not exact. I mean, that's a terrible way to live your life. That's a terrible way to get better. And yeah, if you don't look at failure as a way to get better, then, yeah, you're not going to have success once you're done with sports, that's for sure. Well, it's it's a become a, a crazy side effect of all this is the fact yeah. that yeah. Um, young people uh, don't or can't want to be held accountable anymore. If they are, then they want to run from it. Well, mm-hmm. like you just stated, uh, J.D., the next time – they have to deal with something like that is either in the pros where you're going to get cut or your first job, your first big job where, you know, management doesn't care about anything except for that you're getting the job done and they're going to cut you. Then, you know, they're not going to hold your hand. They're not going to tell no. you about, you know, where you're going to transfer to. <coughs> Excuse me. They're just going to get rid of you. And, and that will become very hard for them to deal with when they spent four or five years in college running from being coached hard. And that's where I hate to uh, hate to inform people, but that's where college athletics is now. You know, I had a lunch with a college coach a couple of months ago who told me, I'm afraid to basically say anything these days right. because, right. you know, yeah, the kids going to either go and – go to the athletic director and tell them stuff I didn't say, or they're going to leave my program. And it's, right. and it's hard right. to, you know, it's hard yeah. to coach hard anymore. It is man. And, and you know, I just, and I think you're, I think you're hitting the nail on the head, JB. I, I think it's, <laughs> it's, it's very, you're, you're, you know, you've got, you've got it exactly right. And I would just to add another layer to your point is, you know, I know with me, man, um, those years of not playing, and finding out who I am outside of basketball gave me every bit of the chance to then build into the person I'm doing and what I'm doing now. And like, I think too, even outside of that, it was just, all right, well, I, then I, you know, my coaches then saw I was like, you know, had a passion for speaking. So they made me like sort of the ambassador for the program while the team would be on the road. Like I'd be the one that had to go to the, the, the you know the Santa Barbara Boys and Girls Club and play basketball mm-hmm. with the kids after practice and then I had 
I started making these connections with philanthropies. And then, you know, they started saying, hey, well, why don't you also, uh, you know, be the guy who takes our recruits in and take them around. And like I I was there's so many different ways you can sort of use your your sta- your stature as an athlete at a university uh, that doesn't just include your time on the floor. And uh, yeah, to think about it, just just as like playing time is is really short-sighted and um yeah i mean i again i can't speak highly enough of like how happy and 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 lucky i was to have a university at santa barbara that the athletic department basically stayed with me even though i wasn't playing and uh yeah i mean and and that's a relationship i'm still i mean i mean you know you know my story but i i'm still ever involved with to this day i text with my coaches constantly i'm very close with the chancellor he's you know, just purchased my new book and we were emailing about that. I mean, it's, it's such a deep relationship with them that, uh, it's unbelievable, man. I mean, I could get teary eyed thinking about it. It's, it's so beautiful. And yeah, it, and a lot of that had nothing to do with sports. It was everything to do with just, 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 you know, being, being around and, and, and meeting people and yeah, they may have known me as an athlete, but yeah, now I'm known as something very different. So. Well, and that's the unfortunate part that's lost is the education and the experience yeah. of a college student where right. you have your growth and, you know, a college scholarship to, you know, for somebody who had to pay for schooling and worked closely with guys who were going to school for free, um, I was always jealous of that. But, you sure. know, I got my college degree, and, you know, to this day when I run into guys who didn't, it's like, you know, what a lost opportunity, you know. For uh, sure. The University of Minnesota is one place, and and most of the schools in the Big Ten now have it where the athletes of the past can come back and go to school mm-hmm. for free, mm-hmm. So, which mm-hmm. is a really big deal. Um. Now you, you, so I take it you graduated from uh, Santa Barbara. Yeah, yes, sir. Okay. Yep, in 2018. Okay, well, congratulations. and <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> and somewhere, and I'm going to get this mixed up, but I'm quite sure you'll straighten me out. Somewhere, either high school or college, you met a young man named Luke yeah. Bowden. Yeah. What does he yes, mean sir. to you? Yeah, my gosh. What does he, what does Luke Bowden mean to me? I mean, one word, everything. I, uh, a lot of my story and a lot of my rock as a, as an athlete and, and obviously now into my career that he's sort of the bridge between that. Uh, and, and, you know, to, to, for those out there who obviously are maybe hearing, hearing about me for the first time, you know, when I was playing in high school in Southern California, this girl who I'd never met before came up to me after one of my games and said, Hey, you know, my little brother is your biggest fan and he wants to meet you and play basketball with you. And, I was sort of like hesitant initially, but I sort of, you know, was, was curious. I was like, well, why does he want to meet me, you know, to play basketball? And that's when this girl who I'd never met said that her little brother was only six years old. And the last thing that he wanted to do before he had to go into the hospital for a full year of isolation for a bone marrow transplant was to meet me and play basketball with me. And that little boy was Luke Bodden and, I ended up meeting Luke and playing basketball with him. And, you know, I was only 17 at the time and Luke was only six. And um, we just ended up kind of becoming inseparable. And uh, he just believed in me more than anybody I think I'd ever met. And he could tell me stats from each game. And he actually didn't miss a single game of mine until he had to have uh, this bone marrow transplant. He had something called sickle, sickle cell disease. Right which, you know, maybe for those that don't know, is a 95% African-American yes. genetic disorder uh, that you're born with. And uh, the only known cure is a bone marrow transplant. And, um, you know, when I committed to UCSB, which is only about an hour north of where I grew up, uh, I told him, like, hey, man, you need to get out of the hospital so you can come and watch me play. And then while I was in college, uh, he used to come to all my games in college and we used to celebrate birthdays together and eat pizza together. And I, I became close with his family. And uh, then, you know, tragically, his story took an, a horrible turn. And he passed away at the age, only the age of 10 years old uh, from a stroke. And 
that was while I was still playing in college. And um, yeah, that ended up being what made me reflect on my life a little bit differently and, and decided to pull me into writing instead of basketball. So, yeah, I uh, know firsthand because I have a nephew mm. that is uh, always fighting sickle yeah. cell. And yeah. uh, he's in his 30s now, which yeah. is wonderful. And, you know, he's trying to launch a, well, he's launched and, and get fully engulfed in a rap career. But Oh, uh, good for him. Yeah, but um, it's something he battles every day, and it's not good. It's not easy. No. But, uh, what a wonderful um, interaction for you, for a person who is going from you know, high school where he's the king of the, you know, king of the school or whatever. Right, to right. About to go to college, which only inf- inflates your ego even more. <laughs> sure. And I'm just right. being honest. I mean, no, it's, no, it's, that's it's not, very true. I'm not being derogatory about it. That's just how it is. If you if you spent enough time around young people who are making that transition from a high school athlete to a college athlete, it's... um. Oh, you think you're walking on water. Right. And, uh, yeah, no, believe me, it, that you, when you, and then when you start spending time visiting a kid who doesn't get to leave a, you know, a, basically a, a hospital cubicle for a year, that'll, that'll really show you what, what life is about and how little your problems actually are. And, um, yeah, man, you just, you know, I was, I spent years of my life going to visit and sit with him. And it's funny how when you go back to college after that, and you hear your friend, you know, complaining about his girlfriend or he's not passing his class or whatever, you suddenly are looking at him going, man, you don't know how good you have it. You know, I don't know why you think this is an issue, but, uh, yeah, Luke, Luke gave me a real healthy dose of perspective. Um, that is, uh, is something I'm, I'm still trying to, to share with the world even to this day. Yeah. Um, your, uh, connection with Luke actually, um, help build things to the point where it's part of your second book. But um, what got you interested in being a writer in the first place? Well, so it was actually my first book. I'm sorry, Uh, your first book. Yeah, yeah. Um, So Luke was, you know, and I think it's it's a pretty, it's a pretty, uh, interesting story given how now, you know, everyone out there listening, has understood, you know, again, how my, my, the beginning of my life was really built around sports. And that's how I met Luke was through basketball, right? Mm-hmm. Like, and he used to come to all my games and, um, you know, I had this incredible friendship with him that spanned years of my life. And, uh, when he passed away, I just sort of, um, you know, I really had this, this kind of take a step back and reevaluate moment where suddenly sports didn't feel nearly as important as it once did, um, any longer, right. Without my biggest fan there to watch, it was like, well, what, what am I really doing anymore? And, um, kind of simultaneously what happened. And again, I think a lot of people can relate to this is I sort of had, uh, met, met my first love and it was this girl who I went to college with and she was also very close with Luke as well. And, um, she used to come to the hospital with me to see him and she was very close to him. And, uh, we were, but we were just friends and we sort of had this platonic relationship, but I was sort of slow, sort of slowly kind of falling in love with this girl. And, um, I used to write her letters all the time and she went to study abroad. And while she was abroad, I used to write her letters like, you know, one or two a week. And it got to the point where like, she couldn't keep up with, you know, the, 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 um, the quantity of letters I was putting together. And, uh, it was around this kind of this, 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 you know, I'm trying to do my best to sort of explain the swirling of emotions that went on when I lost Luke mm-hmm. and then I had this girl I was sort of falling in love with and I sort of put it all together and decided, you know what, I'm going to write a story instead of writing letters to this girl. I'm going to actually write a book about how this all happened. And so Moonflower was my debut novel and it was sort of sort of literally split 50 50 as a story about me and Luke and a story about me and this girl. Right. And, uh, yeah, it's, it's sort of this, uh, this, 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 my break into YA fiction that, uh, I'm still doing to this day. And, uh, yeah, I wrote it while I was still playing in college at UC Santa Barbara. But was, was, um, writing 
your entrance or it just not at all okay. <laughs> not at all i i just you know what i was though jv and i think as i think back it makes a little bit more sense is i was always uh a great reader like i loved reading and then i think coming from this the the, the side of of division one sports where it's obviously such a kind of macho uh testosterone filled kind of life reading became like my break from that and my escapism if you will into like uh like it was like my meditation uh, and i loved i would take books with me on the road to games and uh, i'd spend my weekends just you know when you're kind of recovering and you got the ice on your knees and you're you know <laughs> going to yoga or whatever it is to get ready for the next game i'd my downtime i'd read and uh i, I remember sitting in the airport coming back from I think it was like Texas A&M or somewhere and we were flying through Denver to get back to California. And I was reading this book that was this so-called like bestseller. And I think the athlete in me just sort of took over and I felt like, you know what, I've got a better story than this. Like, I think I could write a better book than this one. And uh, I think I just thought to myself, well, you know what, are you going to spend your whole life thinking that and never do it? Or are you actually going to try? And so, yeah, I just, uh, that was, it happened pretty soon after that. Well, I can, from firsthand knowledge, I can tell people that um, those rough and tough, mean-looking guys you always look at on the <laughs> field, on the court, on the ice, sure. yeah, yeah, sure. are some of the most deep, soft, teddy soft, bear, yeah. <laughs> yeah, sensitive thinkers you ever want to come across. Who are, who most of them are very giving people, very thoughtful people, um, but we always just want to put them in the boxes you know right dribble shut up and dribble or whatever sure. you, you know whatever you know run people over do 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 what we want you to do we don't care about hearing about you know your other side so that's why in a lot of ways we don't see it is because we don't want to see it and we don't want to know about it so it's i can tell you it's there i have a lot of you know in 40 years of like i said college athletics from being a student manager to a full-time equipment manager you know, I've accumulated a lot of friends over the years, and um, there, you know, I can always count on somebody to be there to pick me up and lift me up. You know, uh, former, you know, his managers always looked as a member of the team. You know, oh so. for sure, yeah, same, same, same for me, man. I, right. My managers, I'm, I'm close with to this day. I was Luke DeFabis, my man. If you're out there listening, I hope you hear this. Just just completed my new novel, and he was the first person to call me and tell me how much he loved it. And he was one of my managers for, gosh, my whole career at Santa Barbara. And yeah, he was he was like a brother to I me. Mean, we shared, you know, we were roommates. I mean, yeah, managers are a part of that family, no doubt. Yeah. So um, I just want people to understand that you know those people that you're yelling at and booing and this, that, and the other, which you totally can do because you bought a ticket <laughs> as long as you don't throw or put your hands on them, throw anything at them. You know, you're more than welcome to do. Um, understand that they do; they are thoughtful. And just kind of reading about you, uh, J.D., it just seems like you're very thoughtful. And it just seems like that's what came, that's what's coming about in you, your latest book, uh, darling, you're not alone. Do you want to talk about that book? Yeah, absolutely, man. And I, and I, I so appreciate you saying that JB, it's very sweet. And, uh, you know, I feel like we have a, we have a real mutual sort of connection, even though this is our first time really truly meeting. And, uh, you know, I, uh, yeah, it means a lot. And, uh, to, to, to speak about my basketball career and the way we did, it was, was touching and, but yeah, it, it, it totally influenced everything about the work I'm doing to this day. And yeah, my new book, Darling, You're Not Alone, is, uh, you know, it's a, it's a fictional novel about um, a kid named Phoenix Ivor who grows up in the small town of Darling, Colorado in the year 1999. And um, he has this, you know, and I'm not very shy about talking about it, but he goes to this traumatic event in his high school where he has to survive what at the time of the book is the worst school shooting in U.S. history. And it's this very obviously traumatic yet kind of current event that, uh, it, you know, our world is dealing with to this day that I wanted to write about in a way that not only, you know, allowed me the opportunity to speak about 
gun violence and how it's impacting our world, but also um, Phoenix, you know, the remainder of the story from that moment uh, has to sort of put together the pieces of how to deal with this tragedy, even though he survives and how to move on from this trauma and find this hope in the world that he thinks is out there despite what he's seen. And uh, I think that's something a lot of us can relate to. And uh, yeah, I've been writing Darling, You're Not Alone for the last three years and it just was published about a month ago. So I'm very excited that it's out in the world and starting to get into people's hands. And uh, yeah, it's, I think it's a very powerful book, JB. What made you touch that, that topic? So in 2017, uh, this would be the time I was actually still at Santa Barbara and mm-hmm. playing college basketball and also was uh, writing my first book, Moonflower, which, again, we discussed was about Luke. Mm-hmm. Um, I was uh, living at a friend's house who lived in Santa Barbara, and I was house sitting for them while her parents were out of town. And um, she was she was still there. And we had gone out to dinner that night. And after we'd gotten home, um, she got a phone call while I was still with her that both of her parents uh, had been shot in the uh, Harvest Music Festival shooting in Las Vegas. That happened in 2017. I'm sure you you remember. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And thankfully, they both went on to make full recoveries and survived. Um, But JB, I was just so... uh, gripped by that moment you know and and i have to be honest like you know when when i lost luke it was a very slow grieving process of of sort of like you know the guilt of of having lived and he didn't and 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 wanting to take his pain away from you know and just feeling so kind of upset um but when i went through this event with my friend i just had a lot of anger and i was so sickened by how, how these, these sweet people that I'd hardly known really at the time, but uh, who were giving me their home to, to stay in uh, were both just, you know, out of, out of nowhere shot. And um, I, I just, in my own head, sort of bookmarked that and said, you know what, one day I'm going to write a book about a school shooting or gun violence in some way, because I think it's so hard. It's very difficult even still for me, even though I have written this book to wrap my head around why this happens and why I feel like we're not doing enough about it to, to keep it from happening anymore. And um, yeah, I was very passionate about wanting to, to, to give some, maybe some hope out there to families that have dealt with this. And uh, yeah, after it, you know, impacted me kind of directly in that way with my friend. Uh, what a nice uh, way to salute your friend and their parents. Yeah. And I'm glad yeah. that every, you know, at least in yeah. her case, that her family has recovered the best way they, in the best way they could. I was just wondering why that, because it seemed like that topic was personal and you could only get that personal by, you know, some type of firsthand experience with it. So now it makes sense to me. Um, also another setback that you've overcome is the loss of a house in the California fire. <laughs> yeah, that's, that is true. Yeah. I've had quite a, quite, quite a few setbacks here to discuss for sure. But yeah, that was, uh, that was another one that, um, was traumatic. Well, yeah. So right after my first book, Moonflower was published in 2018, three weeks later, my home burned down in the Woolsey fire in Malibu, uh, California. And, um, you know, JB, that was such a obviously devastating loss, but I think kind of in, in, uh, connection with everything we've discussed today between Luke and then my friend's parents, uh, in the grand scheme, man, those are material things, right? Like those are, those are replaceable items that you can get back and you can recover from. And, um, you know, I, I learned so much about me and my family when I, we went through that and seeing how you really don't need like, like your happiness is not in the, these material things that we all kind of, you know, not everyone, but maybe, maybe a lot of people, I guess I could say, put their, put their happiness into. Um, and you learn that when you are left with literally the clothes on your back and, you know, maybe you're a laptop and, 
your your toothbrush right like that was all we really had after that and you you still yet are waking up healthy getting the getting the chance to make your day better and, and help others and, and give back and um, you know, I started working with the Red Cross at that time, and I, I started going to actually other burn sites around California and, and meeting other people that had lost their homes in fires. And man, my Red Crossers were, were as close as or as thick as thieves. And uh, I, I'm so grateful to have met all the people I did going through that tragedy. And yeah, I ended up donating all my book sales from my first book to the Red Cross Disaster Relief uh, because I was so touched by just generosity I saw and yeah, it was a life-changing experience. So, well, again, uh, you're you're making my case for uh, athletes are some of the yeah. most giving uh, <laughs> and thoughtful people out there. And um, so maybe somebody will back up and loosen up a little bit. You know, uh, I I've seen the pain that you guys you know face from losing or not playing well and whatnot, and, and you know. Nobody can be a worse critic than you are when that happens. Believe, sure. I try to tell people that all the time. There's nobody madder for throwing an interception than the guy that threw the interception or, you know, missed the, the shot to win the game or whatever. Um, so with, with Luke and the young lady whose parents were shot and the, the, the loss of a, a home, what would you say in your background gave you the strength to continue to, to move go forward and overcome and continue and to the point of writing the second book and, you know, now you got to live the, you know, a lot of people's dream, you got to give the commencement speech at UC Santa Barbara. So what allows you to keep moving forward? when you've uh, had so many setbacks and felt so much pain in your life? Yeah, I think, I think it's pretty simple. It's Luke, man. Um, Luke, uh, you know, watching, watching a six-year-old so full of life not get the chance to even leave his hospital room, uh, and he didn't complain. I watched him not, you know, he would spend all the time I would go and visit him, you know, and this is now, I'm talking six, seven, eight years old over the years, asking me how I'm doing, saying, mm -hmm. hey, what, what's going on with you, you know? I, I, he'd be watching the games from his hospital bedroom and saying, man, you missed that layup. You know, you could have had 25 if you didn't miss that layup. <laughs> I mean, and I just, I would, like, look at him and smile going, I cannot believe this kid is going through this just horrific situation, yet he's spending his time trying to inspire me. And um, I like to think that ever since I met him and lost him, I, I don't, I try not to complain about anything because these are such small, insignificant losses compared to the, you know, his loss of life at the age of 10. And, uh, I feel like his message is, is so important. Uh, and it, yeah, it inspires me. It fills my cup to this day. And, um, you know, it's now been six years since he passed and, uh, I still feel like he's very alive and giving me inspiration in my life. And, um, but I also feel like I'm, I'm inspired by, uh, you know, the families of, 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 uh, people that have lost children in school shootings. And I, I did a fair amount of research on, uh, you know, projects that parents had written about their children that they'd lost and, and the work they're doing. And, uh, you know, from the Columbine shooting to the Parkland shooting to the shooting, you know, just this year in Raw at Robb Elementary and Sandy Hook and Virginia Tech. And I, uh, I see these people, these folks that have gone through their tragedies, yet they're still giving back and trying to help others. And, uh, I'm very inspired by them, even though these are people I don't know personally. We're um, just reading their stories always kind of motivate me, too. So. Well, and I, again, I would also say that the stuff that you went through in college would, 100 would uh, play a part um, yeah because it you know it you know going through that you know it molds a young person and and i you know i keep track of my young people via facebook or twitter and 
seeing them grow and watching them have kids now and some in some cases have grandchildren I mean, it's nothing worse <laughs> or funnier in a case of guys that uh when i was a student manager their children they're now bringing their children back as athletes and it's like <laughs> oh god i'm so old hey but, man that's <laughs> that's a beautiful thing that, don't uh yeah don't don't feel bad about it you're very fortunate to be able to see that i think that's pretty that's pretty awesome yeah i mean just to see that see that growth and whatnot and that's to me that's the good thing of college athletic is the growth and the maturation of of young people to become leaders and developers and business people and all the things and and husbands and wives and mothers and fathers and to me that's the wonderful thing and that's where i think part of your your strength to over because for a lot of people one of those might have been enough to say, "Screw this! I'm 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 in this for me," and it just seems like you you have the good spirit of continuation of, yeah, you want to be successful and you want to be able to live and support yourself, but uh, you want to also continue to give. So that's yeah, well, and another thing I'd love to mention too, now that I think about it as well, that I'd love to make clear to people is you know, and I, and again, I'm sure. It, on paper, it's easy to look at all the, the things I've been through and, and wonder, you know, how could I possibly soldier on? But I do think, too, though, it's really crucial for people to know about me. And, and I'm, I'm, I'm so, so fortunate in that I really don't think I, I know anyone luckier than me uh, in terms of the support system I have around me. Uh, my parents, you know, split when I was maybe two or three years old, but had this really amicable divorce and then they both would end up getting remarried to amazing step parents of mine. And now I've got like this sort of, I've, I've like this incredible group of brothers and parents and step parents that are so in my corner and, and every day are, are giving me motivation to keep going too. And, you know, when I give a speech anywhere I go, usually one of them is there, you know, and, uh, it's that too is like, it means more to me than I can ever say. And I, th- I wanted to take a second to add that too. Is like, um, they, you know, they've got my back in a way that I know some people, a lot of people aren't as lucky, you know, to have that much family in their lives. And I've got too much family, <laughs> you know, like all holidays are tricky for me because I got so many places to get to. And I think I'm so lucky to have that problem. So, well, I want it- to, probably end things on that uh i want to thank you for your time is there uh, is there a way people can find your book and also reach out to you if they want to communicate with you yeah absolutely and uh again thank you for having me jb this has been a, such an honor and uh no if people yeah if people <laughs> are are looking to find me you can probably best way to get to me is on my website jdwritesbooks.com uh and also my books are available wherever books are sold on Amazon, uh, Barnes and Noble, and also on my website. And, uh, you can also find me on social media at JD underscore slacker on Twitter and Instagram. And, uh, yeah, let's, uh, let's connect. And if you're having a tough time or you're going through a situation, you know, trust me, it gets better. And if my books can help motivate or inspire anyone in any way, then I'm, I'm proud to have done that. Well, again, this has been author and, and former basketball Gotcho at the University of Santa Barbara, J.D. Slackert, here on the J.B.'s Low Tech Podcast. When you need someone to listen, a lawyer you know and trust. Hi, I'm Mike Bryant. Over the years at holiday time, Bradshaw and Bryant has been able to help thousands of central Minnesotans arrive home safely from the bars. This year, we could very well be celebrating at home, but there's still lots of things that we can do to ensure that you stay safe on the roads, like slowing down, giving yourself enough time that you're not in a rush, no texting and driving, hands-free phone calls, and of course, no drinking and driving. Please be safe so that you get home to your loved ones. I'm Mike Bryant from Bradshaw and Bryant. This year, my biggest wish is that we all remain happy, healthy, and even a little more kind to one another. A lawyer who will fight with confidence and pride. Working harder, going farther. With Mike Bryant on your side. Seeking 
Justice for the injured Bradshaw and Bryant Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to the JB's Low Tech Podcast. Again, I want to thank today's guest, J.D. Slackert, on agreeing to come on and telling the wonderful story that he told, uh, giving you all a deeper insight on what being an athlete at any level can mean, not only to themselves, but for so many others. Well... Later this week is Christmas, so have a very good Christmas. There will probably be a best of for uh, the New Year's uh, New Year's week. And then I'm going to start hunting and beating the bushes again, looking for guests for my podcast, and hope they're all as good as J.D. was today. So with that, please continue to listen to me on, on Apple podcasts on Podbean, on Overcast, and many other outlets, and continue to enjoy and be safe this holiday season. Continue to listen to the JB's Low Tech Podcast. JB is my name, and f***ing up motherfuckers is my game. I am Negro, Black, African American, Black, Black, Black. Django, J. B. Damn, Dolomite. Great card in heaven, you know. J. B. Our great Negro sex machine.